Welcome to the Cordwainers In Their Shoes podcast. My name is Katie Greenia and I'm Creative Talent and Network Director at Pentland Brands. Cordwainers are shoemakers and today the worshipful company of Cordwainers looks to promote footwear design and entrepreneurship in both education and the fashion industry. To celebrate the company's 750th anniversary, we've brought back our podcast for season two to explore what it's like to walk in the shoes of those who have made them. I'm joined by Sasha Spencer, who from birth has had a long-lasting affair with footwear. Her footwear journey started by growing up in a small town called Street, where Clark's happens to be based. Joining the business in 1999 as K Range Assistant, from there she has experience in many incredible brands and retailers. Now senior buyer for women's wear at M&S. Sasha radiates good energy and positivity. She loves the challenge and is at her best when things need fixing. She's an extraordinary leader and I know firsthand as I've had the pleasure of working with her. I also find Sasha obsessively organised, incredibly kind and hysterically funny. But I need to make a confession. I know her really well because I live with her. So, should I get straight to it? Let's do it. Sasha, do you think it was fate that you grew up in street where Clark's was based? Do you know, I think about, I was thinking about this last night and actually coming from an Irish-Italian family with no link to Somerset whatsoever, you're kind of like, maybe it was fate. Then I think back to the early 80s and my mum and dad also having a shoe shop that I probably never even told you about. No. Um. So they had that sort of in the 80s that I had to work in a Saturday and Sunday and it was Italian curated product that they'd go over to Italy and select and the shop was called Estro in Wells in Somerset. And so I think it was probably meant to be that I was always going to be in footwear and my mum has a major obsession with footwear as well. So so it was sort of hereditary. I think so. And then, <laughs> and then lo and behold, I grow up in streets. So I, yeah, I think I was meant to be from the off. So you gave us a little glimpse of what your parents yeah. do. So what, was it all around shoes or? No, my dad by trade is a mechanical engineer and he had one of the biggest Fiat dealerships in the Southwest um, whilst we were growing up. My mum was obviously supporting him with that, um, but they also decided to break into this new venture of having a shoe shop. Um, Didn't last very long. I think they were a bit too soon for the Wells clientele, but they thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, And my dad still tinkers around still with engineering, but they both now have a nightclub in Wales called Kudos, you know, in their 60s and 70s. But, you know, they're semi-retired in sort of in enjoying life and grandkids. But yeah, you know, they've they've been uh, key businesses within the, within the Somerset area with dad having the Fiat dealership. How was school for you? School was great. I had a great time. I went to a local school called Crispin School. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I have friends that I'm still friends with now, you know, 40 years down the, down the line. And, you know, I have to say I was very fortunate. Um, I did a lot of music, I did a lot of art. And then, yeah, went on to do A-levels, still, still remaining in Somerset. So I had a great time. And did you know what you wanted to do? Not a clue. Not a clue. I think the only thing I knew was that I loved colour. I loved pattern. Um, But it was interesting because both my brother and I wanted to be creative and my dad was very much need to go down the academic route, And which happened for neither of us, by the way. We've both ended up in creative roles. But bizarrely, my dad, when he first moved to the country and studied, he actually got a scholarship to Bristol Polytechnic at the time for art, which none of us knew about. So you get that and 
Yeah. Except it very quiet. And actually now with my son, who was very, when he went to uni, it's like, I've got to do something academic. And finally, my dad relented and was like, you know what, actually, no, you need to do games. And he's gone and done filmmaking. So creativity is definitely in the family, that's for sure. How did you start at Clark's? What happened? So actually, my very first job with Clark's was working at the Burr Hotel because they owned it at the time um, as a chambermaid cleaning Nathan Clark's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually my first ever career in Clark's, albeit a, you know, a weekend career, but that's how I started. Can I just say, I bet you'd make a really good chambermaid because she's <laughs> like so obsessively clean. <laughs> well, you know, I made sure I did my job well. Um, but that that was my first ever job on the Clark's page payroll so to speak and then I went and worked in their store in outlet um, and worked my way up from weekend staff to a store manager um, and then from there I took a I went to the warehouse did a bit in the DC and then in DC I saw an advertisement for a K-range assistant where Leslie Pickup interviewed me and fortuitously she gave me the job and I've been in buying range ever since. So you've actually you were in Clark's from the very beginning? From like, the very beginning, yes. I think in total, in the different roles I've done, I think I've spent 17, 18 years of my career in Clark, so quite significant. It's a massive time, isn't yes. it? Not compared to some people, but yes, still significant for me. So in terms of you've done nearly every role mm-hmm. from right from the bot- from the bedsheets. Yes, at, from the bedsheets. <laughs> That's a good one, Katie. Yeah, absolutely. Right through to... Bedsheets to buying. There bed we go. Bedsheets to buying. <laughs> Do you think the buying has always been your favourite bit? It, do you know what? It's a really tough call because I absolutely loved working in retail. I loved talking to the consumer. You know, they, I got a real kick out of watching people go out of store with the with the purchase that they wanted. And actually, I think my frustration and why I wanted to go into buying is, you know, there were sometimes you think, you know, I could do a better job than this. I know what the consumer needs. So I think when this, this job role came up and I was working in the warehouse on the six to two shift, issuing out all these guys their picking lists and this job role came up, I but well, why not? Amazing. So what is the secret to being a successful buyer? Do you know what? That one's an interesting one. And, you know, I can sit here and go range building and a good eye for product. And, I, you know, all of those are really relevant. But I think the reality, whether you're a buyer, a range manager, whatever you want to call that role, you've got to be a people person. You know, you're central to bringing all these different business units together. You've got to be the consumer voice at the table. And for me, if you can't take all these different people on that journey, you're doomed from the start because I I tell this to everyone that asks me buying is selling at the end of the day you have to sell a dream you have to sell a product whether that be your leadership team or your product developer you have to take all those people on a journey and if you can't engage them you'll never achieve anything within your buying role so as much as a keen eye is great and knowing how to range build knowing people and how to take them where you need to take them is the most important thing for me but there must be that bit where you have to believe wholeheartedly that you're going to sell the product and that it's going to be successful? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's part of the development process because you have to work so closely with the design team, you know, with your sourcing team. And there is always a moment where you think, oh, we've nailed this one. We've well and truly <laughs> nailed it. And, you know, sometimes you absolutely have and other times it's just like, oh, no, okay, maybe not. But, you know, I think it's also being able to take some calculated risks sometimes because, you know, without failure you don't move on so and I think some of them comes from the gut anyway absolutely it, always stuff. trust your instincts so what would you do if you weren't a buyer funnily um, enough at college I wanted to be a barrister which 
Oh, she is quite punchy. <laughs> but I, I like an argument. I, you know, if I had to do it again, I think party planning would probably be be my kind of thing. As you say, I like organising things. She's re- relentless with her organising. <laughs> what have you done that you're most proud of? Having Connor, much as my son. Um, I think I had him at 20 years old. So, you know, my career took a bit of a back step at that point. And to be fair, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so personally, for me, that's a massive, that's a big one for me. And certainly from a career point of view, I had just been given a promotion at Clark's. I'd gone from children's into women's. And I was working with a designer called Emma McIntock, called Mrs. Mac, as I call her. And we were working in a category called The Working Week. And our challenge was to create a range that was, you know, a, a, a more finessed type of working product, you know, from court shoes to flats. And so Emma had this great idea to delve into the Clark's archive and be inspired by the archive. And we had an amazing time um, and we picked a couple of products, um, one of them being what we called Chorus. So I still remember the name of the shoe. And we worked relentless on it, Emma especially. And we created this amazing hidden platform range. Um, it had a beautiful sweetheart top line. Oh, it was stunning. Beautiful heel shape. And it was a huge success. And just as I was leaving, we hit a million pairs. And I was very, very proud of what we'd achieved in a work. You know, no one really cared about working week. And, and you know, we, we, and we, we pulled it off. We pulled it off. Yeah, it was it was great. We did have another shoe next to it called Chorus. And that wasn't so great. But, you know. So you talk about the consumer a lot. Mm-hmm. And you love those moments with the consumer. Mm-hmm. How do you find out what they actually want from their footwear? For me, you know, it's the biggest part of our role and you can't learn anything about the consumer behind a laptop or sat in an office. You have to go out and talk to them. And I think for me, it's really valuable to go out, work in stores or wherever you're, you know, whatever retailer you're working, go and work in those stores, speak to your customers, you know, find out why they're purchasing or why they're not purchasing. Really understand because at the end of the day, your job is to be their voice at the table. And how can you be their voice if you don't actually know what what they're saying? And I think especially now, post-pandemic, consumers want brands to represent them. They want to feel like they're being listened to and that their opinion is valued. And for me, that sets you apart from the competition if you're prepared to listen and you're prepared to react to that. And deliver what they want. Absolutely. We're all consumers at the end of the day. And I think we forget that sometimes when we work in the product world, we forget we're consumers, we're consumers as well. And we have our own standards. And going through as a country, what we're going through or as a a global recessions about here where do you think that leaves footwear it's tough it's very I mean everywhere you turn it's very challenging you know footwear is a complex product it's multiple componentry everything is going up and, and it has its challenges but I think I think for any business it's about having that agility to think differently and approach things differently and less is a lot more I think old world you know you'd have brands just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks and actually you've just got to be much more considered now you've got to create ranges that consumers you know really want obviously footwear can be in most instances a requirement but for me I think it's really important to create products that consumers didn't even know they wanted until they see you know it's that it's that pull at the heart of I've got to have that in my life 
And I think we're all learning that versatility is key. You know, you don't buy a shoe for this occasion, that occasion. You buy a shoe to cover lots of occasions. And who thought everyone would be wearing trainers to anything possible? But I still think it's important to obsess those product details that sets you apart from the competition for a consumer to go, I've got to have that and I want that in my life. So, But I think, it, you know, if you see something and it and it winks at you, oh. if you've, like there's nothing better and I'm still that person that wears them to bed when I get home because I'm too excited about wearing them as you know as I do know but I think you know I think that whole emotive side of things is really important I think some brands can forget that sometimes and focus too much on the bottom line and margin and I think it's really important that that emotive still stays there and and that's our job as buying so what has been the biggest lesson that you have learned from your career I think the reality is being open and honest. I think sometimes we can sit in our little bubbles in our offices and think we're doing the right things when we know we're not and we maybe aren't brave enough to challenge ourselves or or challenge our leadership or our directorship and go, actually, no, I don't feel that that's right. And I've I've stumbled along my career with that sometimes. And I think, obviously, you've got to think about how you challenge people in that positive, constructive manner. And I think as well, I've learned that I've at some point and at the right stage, you've got to let your voice be heard. You know, I say, I've said it a number of times here, but you are the consumer at the table. And if you can't speak for them, who else is going to, who else is going to do that I think sometimes we can just sit in our bubble and go that doesn't duplicate that or that and and without really thinking about it and not taking a step back and taking a breath so for me I try to be as open and honest as possible because I think that's the right thing and it's it's right for consumers and it's right for whatever brand you're working with how do you think the industry has changed in your lifetime that's quite a big one that is quite a big one Um, (laughs) you know it's changed significantly and you know I I I talk about this with with people that have been in the industry a long time and you know you you reminisce about the old times and how we all worked and then you think about it now and it's changed so significantly and I think you know there's 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 good sides of it and you know I think it's it's a challenge more than it's ever been. You know, we were quite frivolous back in the, you know, early 90s. You know, everyone was having a great time. The high street was booming. And obviously the pandemic's come along and it significantly changed everything. Landscape from, you know, working as a team, how you how you work as a retailer. And I think, I think the biggest thing for me is a brand or a business not thinking outside the box now and thinking things are going to go back to the way things were pre-pandemic. That's gone. We are never going to, you know, I have this conversation with her, you know, you can look at your history all you want, but the reality is that history is literally history now. We have to carve a, a new way for footwear. It got you know, it got hit so badly by the pandemic, we have to create a new direction for it. And I think for the younger generation coming up, that's a real challenge. And I think the only the only other downside to what I see now to when I was developing my career is the investment in the younger generation 15, 20 years ago was incredible. I will never see that type of investment again. And I think that's the really sad thing about this younger generation is they're not getting that. Um, And I think the footwear industry has a responsibility to ensure that those of us that have been here long enough continue to impart that knowledge and help this younger generation really understand what shoemaking and footwear is about because it's not about selecting something off a shelf. It's so much more than that. Well, Clarks did an amazing job on you, didn't they? Well, uh, you know... (laughs) 
it's a, it, I had an amazing schooling and I know how lucky I was to have had that. And I always feel like I need to pay that forward. I think one of the simplest things I always think is that I remember thinking, I'll never buy a pair of shoes online, you know, because I like, yeah, totally. I like looking at them. I like looking down at them. I like seeing them in the mirror. And yet now I probably do, but out more out of need, well, not need, but more because I like their style or like their shape and have that, oh, they're really nice. And I think that comes though, with the online side of things, it's a, it's a really fine balance because you've got such a different diverse age of consumer that shops in very different ways. And certainly for that 45 plus consumer, they're still very much, I want to feel it. I want to touch it. I want to try it on. I want my girlfriends to tell me how it looks. Then you've got other consumers like, I'll just buy it online and I'll buy a multiple lot of things and I'll try them on at home. And so you you have to, it's a really fine balance of, you know, what do I put as a dot-com only line? What you know, what does the retail estate look like and how do I tell that story? And it's it's a real challenge because even as consumers as ourselves, you know, your expectation of what you see online and then when it turns up at home can be two very different things. And I think this leads into sort of where a brand really has to know their consumer and how they shop and what their expectations are and make sure those expectations are met because otherwise you'll lose them. Lost forever. Well, I think loyalty was, you know, loyalty was an amazing thing back in the day. And, you know, you, you were, you were, uh, you bought what you bought and now the whole world's wide open thanks to you know dot com and it, it's just opened up everyone's eyes to what they can have so so what does on that what does positive business mean for you and how is it impacting the footwear industry positive business i mean i think it's it's acknowledging what you need to change and when you need to change it it's acknowledging that you know, you may need to nudge your consumer on slightly. How do you go about doing that? I think, you know, everyone talks about it and it's a buzzword, but, you know, agility is really important. The expectation from consumers has, you know, has just, it's fast. And, you know, they want their brands to represent everything that they represent. So, you know, being agile and understanding is really important. And it's, you know, it's just a challenging situation in the sense of how do you ensure that those ranges continue to engage them each season? What's their expectation? And also for me, a good business is investing in your young people because without them, you'll have no one else to, to, to you know, to create these and amazing also, ranges. And also tell you what's cool. Because there is, it gets to a bit where some of us like a bottle of wine and staying in at night. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> and that we're not on the scene. We're not sort of going out and, you know, there's certain things that you can do by shop visits and seeing what mm-hmm. other competitors are doing and researching new brands. But there is a bit of a zeitgeist that I think that comes from the younger generations that are not, that it's a, it's a feeling, it's a gut, which I, I so believe in. So what has been your most challenging project? Um, I think for me, when I unfortunately found myself, um, I was obviously made redundant um, from Pentland in, was that 2019 now? Which was the first time I'd found my myself without a job in 40 odd years. So I took a bit of a break, took a sabbatical, um, stayed in my pyjamas far too long and the husband had to have a word with me. Um, wallowed in a little bit of self-pity, um, but then decided to try and diversify. You know, footwear 
was not coming back anytime soon and I needed to keep busy. So I actually went and did an eight month stint at Screwfix um, based in Yeovil in Somerset. Yes, that's Screwfix. Um, Can I just say that um, my husband was really impressed with that. So was mine. So was mine. And I have to thank Vicky and the team and Ben because they, you know, they took a real punt on me joining the team. And basically they wanted me to come in and help them, you know, give the buying team an insight into their consumer because their consumer had changed from being very trade orientated to a, you know, non-trade consumer. So the likes of you and I. Um, and it was, it was again, it was about trying to take a team on a journey of where they are and where, you know, their consumer base was going. And I was, you know, really nervous about whether my skills are transferable, if I could be of help. But, you know, Ben and Vicky were amazing, as were the team that I was working with. And I was so fortunate that they, you know, took a chance on me. And, I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the team were great. I learned a lot about power tools. <laughs> um, but the reality is with all of these things, you've, you've, you've got, when you're in, in a product role, you've got to you've got to love what you do. And I would have tried my best to have loved everything at Screwfix, but it was never going to be footwear. Um, And, you know. And that's where your love of footwear has called you back. Called me back. And I was very fortunate to get a maternity cover at Marks and Spencer's. And once I was there, I went, oh God, yeah, never again. Always shoes. Always shoes. (laughs) So who or what inspires you? Do you know what? It's This one's a really interesting question. And I think for me, it's people that inspire me. I have been very fortunate in my career to work for some incredible women, some incredible leaders that, you know, have given me the ability to become the person I am today. And I think it's really important to be able to feel like you've had that leadership and you've had that support in your career. And, you know, I'm still very good friends with a lot of them, even today, you know, friendships that have been 20 years long. But even down to, I was working in Stevenage um, last week, last Thursday. And, you know, you've got Nikki and Kaz there that work on the retail um, floor selling footwear for us. And just their passion and their engagement with the consumer. And you just sit back and go, you know, wow, you apps, you, you love the brand, you love the product you're selling. And, you know, I have to stand back in awe of people just absolutely passionate about what they do and why they do it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's people more than anything. Well, I know that you have a natural ability to nurture and nourish others. And I know that you're really, really, you want to teach other people skills, the skills of the footwear trade. But how do you go about this when other people find this so difficult? I think it's it's a couple of things. I think I'm naturally like that anyway. But I also think, I think as I've mentioned, I was very lucky to work for some great people and I feel it is my duty to pay that forward at every opportunity that I can get and I think for me where you have a younger generation that are so passionate about what they want to do it's only right that you know I engage with that passion and you know help them build their expertise and help them build their knowledge but I also want to make sure that they feel accountable and that they own parts of their range because I think that's really important as part of your development and if I hadn't had that when I was sort of going up the ranks in the in the footwear world you know I, I probably wouldn't be the individual I am today but I think a lot of that is probably just 
just me because I think who you see in work and who you see out of work, I'm the same person. I can confirm that. <laughs> and I think for I think for me, it's probably what does help me in the role that I have. Should we get onto the quick fire round? Oh God! Okay, let's do this. Trainers or formal shoes? Trainers. They used to be formal shoes. <laughs> <laughs> this is like wearing, not like like you're selling. <laughs> <laughs> Fashion trend you just don't get. Oh, my God. The dad trainer. What is that all about? Like, wear that to the gym. Don't wear it out. I don't get that one. I can't believe I'm asking this. Favourite food? Mexican. No. You're I can't say Italian, can I? <laughs> She's lying. It, well, it's, it's Italian. Italian, yeah. <laughs> Pete, let's, go, let's go for a pizza. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? What's the scariest thing I've ever done? Had a baby at 20. <laughs> That's quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> What's your karaoke song? Oh, depends who I'm with. So if I'm with <laughs> Leslie, it, she wants Son of a Preacher, ma'am. And if I'm with anyone else, it's got to be Fairground Attraction Perfect. <laughs> Maybe not with my voice today. <laughs> Favourite cocktail? Espresso martini. Best holiday tip? Fill your trainers with as much stuff as possible. <laughs> Saves on the packing space. I knew it was going to be an organisational <laughs> an, I can't help it. I can't help it. Favourite country? Vietnam. I thought you were going to say Italy. <laughs> uh, Italy is the most more like home, but Vietnam, oh, beautiful. Love it. I'd, I'd move tomorrow. It's where Connor is at the moment. Oh, that's <laughs> another reason to go there. Yes, absolutely. Would you rather have an extra arm or an extra eye? I'd need an extra arm. <laughs> I'd need one. So you can pack lots of stuff. Yes, I can do more with an extra arm. <laughs> What's your favourite book? Oh, colour, well, fine line between a colour purple or Jamaica in. Mm. Mm. Guilty pleasure? It's got to be rum. Rum. Well, you know how much yeah. rum I drink, so. <laughs> you never look very guilty about it. <laughs> well, no, true. I can't uh, think of anything I feel guilty about. <laughs> no, this is such a stupid question for you. I'm going to ask it. Okay. Tidy or messy? Tidy. Oh my God, she's insane. Just everyone tidy. else around me that's not tidy. <laughs> Are you good at building flat pack furniture? Oh my God, no. That's what my husband's for. <laughs> when are you most productive? First thing in the morning. Would you rather swim to work or cycle to work? Swim every time. Sun holiday or activity holiday? Sun, sun, sun. <laughs> Do you think you would make a good Prime Minister? Well, I'd make a better one than the current ones at the moment. <laughs> Once. <laughs> How, which one is it today? So for more information on Marks and Spencer's footwear or on you, where should our listeners go? If you want more information on Marks and Spencer's and the amazing footwear we're putting together, you can go on to um, .com or go into store. And on me, I guess LinkedIn. <laughs> Thank you so much, Thank Sasha. You. It's been, well, it has been an absolute pleasure to walk in your shoes and to be in Fulham with you today. For more interest in Cordwainers livery, please visit our website, cordwainers.org, or our Instagram, Worshipful Cordwainers. Thanks so much. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>